0: Accountability is basically having someone who cares enough about you to shine a light, to hold up a mirror to your face and say, hey, look what you're doing.
1: Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Ruth Sukup, founder of Living Well, Spending Less, creator of Elite Blog Academy, and author of the book, Do It Scared. As an alumni of her blogging course, I'm excited to share her business story with you. And since Ruth is dedicated to helping people break through fear and create a life they love, we'll also be diving into the different types of fear and how you can identify what's most holding you back. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation. Or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Ruth for the complete show notes. Are you ready, Mamas? Let's get started. Hey Ruth, how's it going? So good. How are you? I'm doing well. I am so glad to have you here. I don't know if you actually know this, but I started my site by taking Elite Blog Academy. I bought it like two weeks after I started my website. You and now did? I Yes, I absolutely loved it. That's
0: awesome.
1: Yeah, and we've had a few other EBA grads on the podcast already. We had Rosemary the day we launched, which was fantastic. So we're glad to have you here.
0: Oh, that's great! (laughs) Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So for people who aren't familiar with the Leap Blog Academy, you run Living Well Spending Less, and you have your podcast, Do It Scared. But before all that, you were a stay-at-home mom. So can you tell us what prompted you to start your blog?
0: Well sheesh, oh, I have to go back a few years, You're bringing me way back. I started as a stay-at-home mom. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old when I decided to start blogging. And let me just tell you, it was not really because I was trying to start a business. It was more that my husband and I were fighting a lot about money. We had just moved back to Florida from, we had been living in Washington state where I had my family and a great group of friends and a huge support system moved back to Florida, and suddenly I was had these two kids and nothing to do. So my outlet was going to Target almost every day where, as my husband was going to work and at this job that he hated as an aerospace engineer. He just hated it. Every single day was misery for him. And so he saw every minute I spent at Target as another hour he had to spend at work. It was rough. So we have these two kids, and I needed to find something to do that wasn't going to Target every day. And so I started this blog called Living While Spending Less after one very big fight and (laughs) an aspirational title. (laughs) Yes. It was totally an aspirational title. It had nothing to do with what I was actually doing. Well, I was, I don't think I was doing either of those things. So, (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was so funny. And I, people ask me that all the time, you know, do I have to be an expert before I start writing about something? I'm like, if I can make a living teaching people how to save money, then you literally can teach people how to do anything. You don't even have to be one step ahead of them. You can be at the same step and just say, hey, this is what worked for me today. So that was pretty much where I was at. And it wasn't really meant to be a business per se. But as soon as I saw there were people out there who were making money online, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I could do that too. And so then I started pursuing it as sort of this full-time thing.
1: Awesome. That's fantastic. And were you mostly talking about couponing or were you talking about like testing things you were trying to learn yourself? What was your content about?
0: In those days, when I first started, I was writing a lot about couponing because I was doing a lot of couponing. And I was also just writing about, you know, home life, how I was being more productive at home, different things I was doing. I would, you know, do things with my kids and share about that. I was literally writing about everything. I mean, it was like quintessential mom blog of here's my day. Here's what I'm doing. I went to the grocery store. Here's what I bought at the grocery store. So it took a while for me to really figure out exactly what I was saying, what my voice was, but what I found is that people seem to really just relate to the journey. And especially as I started writing more about coupons and couponing, cause you know, this was 2010. So the economy was a little rough at that point. And what I realized is that I was really good at it. And I have this brain that's very good at taking complicated things and simplifying them. And I've always done that with every part of my life. When I was in school, when I was a stay-at-home mom, now in business, I do the same thing. I have all these different, you know, there's, you get information from all these places and you have to distill it down into how do I make this into a process or a system? And so that's what I did with couponing. And I started teaching other people how to do it. And then about six months after I started my Living Well, Spending Less blog, the show Extreme Couponing came out. So I had been, you know, I'd been doing the couponing thing on my blog, but I had also been busy trying to figure out how to make this a business. So one of the things I read about growing your traffic was you got to do SEO. You got to do this thing. So I read 12 books in a weekend on how to do SEO and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So every time I'd write a blog post, I would optimize it for search engine results, even though it's like this, is this working? You know, you don't see the results. And then the show came out and everybody started searching for how to use coupons. And that was exactly what I had optimized for. And suddenly my traffic just kind of took off. And then, you know, the show faded away and my traffic went back down and (laughs) I had to learn how to do it again. And I've been learning ever since.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So I'm sure there's lots of moms listening with little toddlers that are like, Okay. How are you doing activities with kids and living your life and writing a blog, right? That just seems super overwhelming. So what does your schedule look like?
0: Oh man, my schedule was kind of crazy during that time, I will (laughs) say. But again, I'm really good at systems and I'm really good at schedules and routines and I'm definitely a morning person. And so I would wake up super early. Yes, that did help. And it helped that my kids... Are not morning people. So that the combination of those two things was awesome because my kids have always loved to sleep in. You know, some people talk about how their kids get up at five or six in the morning. My kids,
1: my kids, (laughs) not
0: they're like 10, 11. If I let them, they'd sleep till noon if I let them every day. Oh my goodness. But yeah, so they, they would not get up usually until probably eight or nine at the earliest. And I would have that really early time. So I would have a good five or six hours, usually in the morning, if I would get up early to work on my blog and then my kids would get up and then I would do all of the mom stuff. And it's on my blog. All of my systems are on there because I was just (laughs) writing what I was doing, but I would do speed cleaning. I had a checklist for myself and I would do speed cleaning every day. So, and I do it with my kids. So they would wake up and we would go through the checklist and, and quickly clean everything and tidy everything and make sure that the house was clean and do the grocery shopping and, you know, do the regular stuff. And then and this was my other secret and I will encourage anyone. I know like everybody's quarantined right now and it's, it's crazy, but I would encourage any mom to utilize this trick, quiet time in your room. It is the secret to sanity. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how old your kids are. Yeah, I still do it. My kids are now uh, 10 and 13 and I'm like, okay, time for quiet time in your room, girls. And you just, <laughs> you just put them in there and keep them there for a couple hours, but it's great. Actually. Actually, they self-choose to do their own quiet time in the room now. But when they were little, that was my saving grace. Every afternoon when they stopped napping, then I would have them go do quiet time in your room. And that was when, when I would work on blog stuff. And it took three years before my blog was actually making enough money so that my husband could become the stay-at-home parent. And then we had to figure out a whole new set of routines <laughs> when he came home. <laughs> so
1: did you ever deal with... Any kind of issues with, you seem like you've, you're very good at routines and schedules and goal setting, all that kind of stuff. But did you ever struggle with parental guilt or balance or feeling like you weren't sure if you were doing the right split of time on these things?
0: You know, I think every mom struggles with that a lot. I think that I definitely did. And I def- I actually probably struggled more with the guilt trips that I got from my husband than I did from my own sense of guilt. Because I think, and part of that is I'm so driven so I could see the potential, I could see the result and I could see this is going to be worth it. And so I'm not going to lie. My, you know, my kids watched a lot of Dora sometimes. (laughs) Hey, they're (laughs) learning some Spanish. That's great. Yo, Gabba Gabba. Is that show still on? That show was real creepy. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that's not. The little monsters and DJ Jeff or Jazzy or something like that. Oh, DJ Jazzy Jeff. (laughs) It was weird. <laughs> but my husband would give me a hard time and I want you to be off the computer. We stopped fighting about money, first of all. So that was awesome. But we did start fighting about how much time I was spending on this blog that we had no idea what was going to happen or how it was going to turn out. And that's, yeah, you know, sometimes that's really hard when you are in a position where you think something could be great, but you don't know what's going to happen. And when, cause when I tell my story now, it's easy to look back and go, Oh my gosh, it's so amazing that you were able to do this thing and, and retire your husband and create this amazing business. And it happened so fast. And Yeah, it does seem fast in hindsight, but during that time, three years did not seem fast. (laughs) Let me tell you, three years of $0 did not seem fast. And it really was, and it was was like almost $0 because everything I was making, I was pouring right back into the business for those first three years. And what was the point?
1: Obviously, your husband got on board once he could leave his job that he did, but did did he get on board before then? Like, how did you help him become a supporter?
0: You know, it took a while. It took a long time. For a long time, he did not understand why I was doing it. He thought it was dumb. He told me, you know, you can't make money on a blog, honey. That's the dumbest thing that you've ever said. And I'm like, no, I can do that. But then he would support me in his own way. I think my husband's very blunt and he kind of says, you know, what he thinks. I think once I started to make some money, Mm-hmm. That's when I think he saw, okay, maybe there's potential there, even though I was still turning around and, and investing it right back into the business, into the training and education and going to conferences and to, you know, buying myself a laptop, which i then <laughs> left on the top of the car on Thanksgiving. I'd only had it for like a month. I finally could afford a, a new MacBook and I left it on top of the car on Thanksgiving and we drove off and it got shattered and I was devastated. <laughs> It was the worst ever. So I did then save up for another laptop. It still worked. I I used that like cracked and shattered laptop for like a year before I could afford another one. But oh my god. Man, it was a harsh lesson. Yeah. He just, he would help in his own ways. You know, on the weekends, he would go take the kids camping overnight. They'd go to like a campsite about five miles away and just with our old beat up motorhome. And they, so he would do things to kind of give me space and to just work on it, even though he didn't understand and wasn't always super excited about it. But then I think there was a point when we started to see finally, maybe the end of 2012 or beginning of 2013, we started to see you know what, this might be possible. And we had been at the same time, you know, because I was sort of on a public journey of learning how to live well on a budget that was living well, spending less. And we had done Dave Ramsey. We had, you know, adopted our gazelle mentality and started paying off debt. And not that we had a ton of debt. I had some student loans and we had, I think we had a car payment and we had a mortgage, but we ended up paying off all of those things so that we were 100% debt-free. And that opened up a whole new set of possibilities for us where we thought, okay, our quality of life isn't awesome right now because he was working and I was working basically more than a full-time job, plus trying to be the stay-at-home mom. So we said, okay, if we can make it to $3,000 a month in revenue from this blog, I think we can live on that. That was our number. And yeah, so it was low, truly. It was way lower than what he was making. when you don't have a mortgage and you don't have a debt payment, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. Yeah. And we had become very frugal at that point. So we did that and we made that and we finally made that decision. And that was April 1st, 2013 was his first day of retirement with the day after my birthday. We got in the car to go on a road trip to go visit our friends. Our goddaughter was being baptized, and we totaled our car. We got in a car accident about 300 miles away from our house. (laughs) Yes. And it was terrifying and devastating. And we were like, oh my gosh, did we do the right thing? Like, what are we thinking? But you know what? It was just like we ended up going down to one car from that but it worked out. And for five years after that, we only had one car, my, the same car. We still have my husband's 2002 Tahoe, which now has 250,000 miles on it. <laughs> and we just kind of simplified. But at the same time, as soon as that happened, I think for me being the, realizing that I was the breadwinner for real, like this was real. And we just, you know, we I've got to make this work. I hustled like nobody's business after that. And I thought I was hustling before. And from then on, I think within two months, my blog income had tripled. And by the end of 2013, it was 10 times what it was. We were up to $30,000 a month in revenue. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was once we kind of made that leap, that's when it really started to take off and happen.
1: How tempted were you guys for him to go back to work when you totaled the car?
0: Not very I don't think that was ever even an option. That's awesome. I love the commitment to just like
1: dive in with both feet, (laughs) jump
0: in with both feet. We were in it. But I will say I felt that pressure like I've never felt before. And so it was crazy. That is crazy.
1: So we talk a lot here about money mindset and how money is not just black and white. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Did you you had bankruptcy early in your life, right? Yes. Yep. Early 20s. So I'm curious of like going from a place where you'd had this prior bankruptcy, you're overspending at Target, and now you have this business that by the end of 2013 is making 10x what it was when your husband left his job. What mindset shifts did you have to work through? What internal hangups to let yourself be that successful and find a way to manage your money?
0: That's a good question. I don't know that I've ever really thought about that before of whether or not what the mindset was that shifted for me. I think that when I look back at the journey that I went on, so the bankruptcy that I had was somewhat related to the fact that I had never really learned how to manage money as a kid. I grew up in a family that was pretty well off. My dad is a successful entrepreneur, but... My parents were, you know, very religious and very reluctant to talk about money. And so the only thing whenever you know, as a kid, I would say, are we rich? You know, we, our house is bigger than everybody else. And my parents would always say, we don't talk about money. That's something we never talk about. Well, you kind of got to talk about money because if you don't, your kids grow up completely clueless, which is what I was. And my dad is also very non-confrontational and kind of tends to like, I wouldn't say spoil his kids, but he doesn't, he's not like a real disciplinarian when it comes to like them kids screwing up or doing things. He'll tends to cover for his kids a lot. (laughs) So, which I've, I've definitely benefited from, but also it's not been awesome for me. So one of the things that happened, yes, double-edged sword. So one of the things that happened when I was in college, you know, I was going off to college for the first time and he gave me this credit card that was in my name, but he had co-signed on So of course, because my wealthy father had just co-signed on a credit card, they gave me like a $5,000 credit limit. (laughs) Oh boy! <laughs> um, which I go to college, you know, and I'm like, well, I've got a credit card, so I maxed it out by Christmas. I think within four months, I'd maxed out this credit card. And the credit card company calls my dad, and they're like, "Ah, uh, your your daughter's credit card is maxed out." And so, what does my dad do? Rather than confront me, like have a big sit down, like we need to talk about how you're going to manage money, pays it off, pays it off. So literally I've learned nothing from that experience and don't get me wrong. I need to take responsibility because at that point I was a young adult, but I was an adult. Like I (laughs) was not learning good lessons at that point. Yeah, for sure. So I've, Then, you know, second semester, I discovered that if you have one credit card, you can get other credit cards. So I, you know, I'd go to stores and be like, do you want to open a credit card? I'm like, sure, whatever, you know, and it just, it never really felt like real money to me. So that was hard. So all of that happened. And then I got married when I was in college. So then, you know, my husband was also not good with money. And so that that was not great. And then I went in my senior year of college was when I went through this really bad depression and ended up hospitalized for two and a half years and got divorced. And so in the midst of that, my ex-husband, which I can't really blame him. He blamed me for our debt and put all of the credit cards in my name. And in the meantime, I was in the hospital, not opening mail, not doing any of that stuff. So by the time I came out of all of that, I was at a point where I went to an attorney and he's like, your credit is so shot at this point And you have like, there's no way of digging out of this. The best thing that you could possibly do is file for bankruptcy. I had also all these medical bills on there that weren't covered. Like it was a mess. And so that's what I did. And I had to start over and, so then I got to a point where I was cash only in my 20s, and I just spent what I had. I had no credit, so it was all cash, and I was doing fine. I was doing okay. I spent pretty much every dime, but I was making it. Yeah. And then I married my husband, and so here I am, my current husband. So now here I am, and I I've, I've still have no money skills whatsoever, and he made pretty decent money. So it was just there was never a great point that I had ever learned any of these money skills and making this answer very long. Sorry. (laughs) I'm fascinated. I love these stories. (laughs) Yeah. So I had never really learned it. And so we were fighting, you know, and my husband was great with money, thankfully, but he was also really frustrated with me because I just didn't have any concept. It wasn't even like I was intentionally trying to be, you know, just Spending all this money, I just really didn't yeah. have a concept of it. And so it was almost like an emotional thing, like buying things would fill up this emotional side of me. And it wasn't until we did Dave Ramsey, until we went to Financial Peace University, which my husband did not want to go to because he's like, I don't need to go to this. I don't have a money problem. You have a money problem. Yeah, But really we had a money problem because I, and yes, I was the source of the spending, but the source of our relationship was that we didn't know how to talk about money without fighting about money. And so for the first time we were able to have conversations about it and come up with a plan that was not based, that he could understand that money, the emotional ties for money for me, it just gave us a way of framing the conversation. And it was, amazing for us. And so we got, we finally, for the first time, got on the same page and I started learning how to manage my money and how to be more content and dealing with more of the internal stuff that was happening of realizing that I was buying all this stuff to fill something inside of me that I could never fill. As I started to learn that and we started to get our finances in in order and, and then pay off debt and get to a great place, it was amazing. So I'm so grateful For all of those lessons, because by the time that I actually started making tons and tons of money, like I am now, like to the point where you kind of go, wow, I mean, now my kids ask me, are we rich? You want to know what my answer to that is?
1: I absolutely want
0: to know the answer to that. (laughs) I'm rich. You're not rich, <laughs> <laughs> which is perfect. <laughs> which is what I say every single time. I'm rich. You're not rich. My money is not your money. And if you want to be rich someday, then you're going to have to learn how to work really hard because money comes from work. If you want a lot of money, then you work really hard. And I want my kids to understand that so, so much that the value of money. And I, cause I see the danger of what happens if you don't talk to your kids. My story has a happy ending, but it could have just as easily <laughs> been a tragedy over and over and
1: over again. I loved listening to the story. And like, I think it's a perfect example of why we tell our moms all the time, like, give your kids opportunities to fail with money when they're young, to practice and figure out what the consequences are when the consequences are small. Right? <laughs> like yes. it's, they're going to be devastated when they waste $20, but it's not $2,000, right? It's not $20,000. So I love how you're talking to them about it. That's great. And do you think starting your business gave you some of that source of fulfillment that you were spending to try to fill?
0: Yeah, I think probably it did. It definitely shifted my focus a lot. I suddenly didn't have the time to <laughs> to go to Target anymore. I mean, now I find shopping so annoying that I never have time to go to the store. It's if I can't get it on Amazon, it's not. I'm not even interested anymore. <laughs> My husband and I were just talking about this yesterday because Amazon Prime, they changed – they're not shipping anything non-essential right now. I'm like, well, there's no point in me shopping this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not even spending on Amazon right now. It's crazy how
1: much they've trained us of like to expect it in two days when you look it up and you're like,
0: two weeks? Like, yeah. I don't even need it anymore. <laughs> I know. I don't need it is funny how our instant gratification works and the 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 Prime Now when I'm in city I don't have it at my house which is probably a good thing but when I'm in traveling and I'm in I forget something at a hotel or something and they have Prime Now I'm like, "Oh, this is amazing. It's
1: like having an assistant." Yes. So when in this
0: journey did you launch Elite Blog Academy? That happened. Elite Blog Academy happened in 2014. So I wrote a book called How to Blog for Profit in 2013, which was a complete fluke. I had no plans to write that book. And yet, right after my husband quit his job, I had all of these people who are asking all of my blogger friends who were like, oh my gosh, your husband quit his job. What, you know, we started blogging at the same time. I'm not making enough money for my husband to quit his job. What are, what are you doing differently? What are you doing? And, you know, it was funny because looking back, I've always loved to share the business strategy and the business side of what I'm doing. When I would go to blog conferences, I would inevitably end up in my hotel room with 20 people in there like, teaching, you know, like showing them all the different stuff that I was doing. And so that's just always been something, but I never thought about it was so unrelated to what I talked about on living while well, spending less that I would it never have even occurred to me to have it be something that I did. I pursued as part of my business. And so when how to blog for profit came out all of a sudden it took off. I I released it. And I remember it went to number two on Amazon that day, like the day that it released, which is insane. (laughs) I mean, even in 2013, that was insane. But yeah, it was like crazy. I couldn't believe how many people were interested in understanding how to do this. And I guess back then there wasn't a ton of information out there either. Yeah, for sure. And so the people started asking me to do consulting. They read my book and then they'd reach out and say, hey, I've read your book. I would love to do some consulting. So I did that for a little while and it was fine. Like I love coaching and teaching people, but what I didn't like is that it didn't feel very scalable and it felt very repetitive because everybody kept asking the same questions over and over again, which, and the question that kept being asked was, there's so much information out there. I'm so overwhelmed. I just want to know what do I have to do step by step by step to be successful. And again, I'm really good at step, step, step by step by step. step. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my thing. And I thought, oh, I can teach that. And so I put together this course. It was called Elite Blog Academy. And I really, truly, I remember when I launched it. It was so funny. I said to my, I said to my husband, you know. I probably will be able to launch this thing like once or twice, and then it'll be done. Like nobody will be interested (laughs) in it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Or everyone is interested. Yes. um, Seven years later now that since we first launched it, we just had our seventh launch and... 12,000 students. Wow, that's amazing. Crazy. But it's been I love it. I love it so much. I love I mean, you've been in I just Oh, yeah, I love teaching business owners or moms. It's a lot of moms or it's a lot of just people who think, can I do this? I get a lot of moms now who are like empty nesters or their kids are getting older and going, what's next what to do now. Yeah. Can I do this? And what's really interesting is that I'm finding is that emerging market is the kind of the baby boomer market, because now suddenly there are more, there's more and more retirees in that age group that it's the first group of retirees to be very technologically savvy and they're on spending their time online. And so, and they're looking for something to do. And so it's a great market actually for blogging because there's so many different felt needs there, but yeah, it's been really fun to watch. And I just, lo- I love it. I love helping people build their businesses. And I mean, you have Rosemary on the show. We have such amazing success stories and I just think that's probably the most gratifying thing that I do is just to watch people have this amazing success. And I'm curious, this actually brings us to, you have you say
1: you have a lot of women and moms in your audience, and it brings us to last year you released your book, Do It Scared, which is fantastic. And I want to know, you have this successful Living While Spending Less business, you have the successful Elite Blog Academy business. Why did this have to be the next step in your journey? Why did you feel like you had to add Do It Scared, <laughs>
0: Right. Don't you have enough going on? <laughs> yep, I totally do. And it's so funny too, because people always ask me, students always ask me, should I start two blogs? I have two ideas. I'm like, no, do not do that. <laughs> Listen to what I say, not what I do. Yeah. Do not follow my path. No, um, you know, it's so funny because I, for many years after starting a Elite Blog Academy, I had this... Internal struggle, or maybe it was an external struggle. I don't know. I always felt like I was struggling between two kids that I loved equally, but I could never devote enough time to both of them. You know, who do I focus on? Do I focus on my moms at Living Well, Spending Less, or do I focus on my bloggers at Elite Blog Academy? And I saw them in my mind, at least, as two separate audiences, two separate things, and two separate entities. And then the one of the things that I really noticed is that. Do it scared, which had always been my motto, my little, you know, (laughs) mantra that I would say to myself ever since I went through this bad depression in my early 20s. And it was something that I would sometimes write about in different emails or whatever. And both of those different audiences started picking up on it. And I would see, you know, in the Facebook group, people saying, oh, Ruth says do it scared. And it was happening on both sides. And I was like, yeah, yeah, there's something to this do it scared thing. And so I started kind of leaning into that and started to get really curious about fear and the role of fear, because it seemed to be something that was really resonating. And I ended up doing this big research study, which is what led to the book. About fear, but what's so funny is that, in the midst of all of that, I started to realize that even though i've always looked at or i've been looking at my business as two separate things, it really was all one thing <laughs> it's all the same audience that there's so much crossover me between Living While well, Spending Less and Elite Blog Academy. And so the way that I look at my business now is more of as a pyramid, um, almost like a hierarchy of needs. So okay. base is the lifestyle portion of what we do, the Living While well, Spending Less brand, where we're helping people to create systems for their home, to run your home yeah. smoother so that you can then have enough time and energy to do other things that you want to do. And then the next step on that tier is the productivity side of things, which we have the Living Well Planner and our Team Your Time productivity course for that. And from there, it's motivation that we provide at Do It It Scared. Uh, Because without motivation to keep doing things and to stay on track, it's really hard to stay on track. But from there, when you're starting to get your life in order you you suddenly are ready for something bigger and that's where the business piece comes in so that's sort of the top of the the top of the hierarchy of needs
1: <laughs> that's awesome so tell me how has fear played a role in your life i know post depression do it scared kind of became your motto but
0: do you still feel like you're scared to be trying these new things and adding them i feel like courage is this muscle that you have to continually build but i feel like i have done a lot of things over the last 10 years that i to build up that muscle over and over to the point where now i feel less afraid of things just because i have the the benefit of hindsight to look back and go well i was afraid of that thing but i you know it turned out fine so i'm sure i can do now I sort of lean into it a little bit more when something feels scary to me, that's when I know, mm-hmm. oh, this is probably something I should be pursuing. So th- most recently, it was giving a TED Talk and, you know, I was terrified of that because for most of my adult life, public speaking has been probably like many people, my one of my biggest fears. And it's definitely something I've had to work at, but TED talk is like a whole other level of. <laughs> you got a coach, right? And- yeah. And you have to memorize the whole talk and it's super, you know, it's just, there's a lot of pressure on it. Right. And so I was like, I don't know if I can do this, but I guess I, I have to just because I don't know if I can. And and I did it and it was great. And now. Well, congratulations, like, That's awesome. Next <laughs> Thanks.
1: So, how have you seen fear play out in your elite blog academy students or in your audience at Living While well, Spending Less? I think I know you have a lot of moms there that are trying to make major changes. So, how have you seen fear play out for them?
0: You know, in a lot of different ways. So, we I something that I uncovered in the Do It Scared book are something I call the seven fear archetypes. And what I realized through all the research that we were doing on fear is that fear looks very different for all of us. And we all have what I call our own unique fear fingerprint. So it's the way that fear is manifesting in our lives. And so these seven fear archetypes include the procrastinator slash perfectionist archetype where your deepest fear is the fear of making a mistake. There's the rule follower archetype where your deepest fear is stepping outside of the lines or doing things that the way they're not supposed to be done. There's the people pleaser archetype where your biggest fear is related to what other people think of you or letting people down. The outcast archetype which is my archetype, but which is a fear, of, a fear of rejection. So outcasts tend to reject people before they can be rejected. There's the self-doubter archetype, which is the fear of not being enough or not being capable. The excuse maker archetype, which is a fear of taking responsibility. And then finally, the pessimist archetype, which is a fear of pain or a fear of being hurt. That usually comes from a place of having been hurt and not wanting to experience more hurt. So, and for all of us, we all, you know, usually we have one that's most dominant and yet there can be a combination. That's where your fear fingerprint comes in and there can be a, a combination of the way that those are interplaying together. But what, what's significant about that is that all of that fear that's happening most of the time is happening subconsciously. So you don't know that it's happening. So you don't know that. The reason that you can't ever seem to get anything done and keep putting things off is because you have this deep seated archetype of, you know, fear archetype of being a procrastinator archetype, which is the most common one, by the way. And so there's all these, these traits and characteristics that play into that, that happens subconsciously. We So we don't always even experience it as fear per se. We experience it as truth. We think, well, that's just the way I am. But what happens with fear is when you can start to actually identify how your fear is showing up and start to see those patterns in your life happening like anything else, when you shine a light on it, suddenly that's when you have the power to start doing something about it and start changing it. And so that's kind of where the work with Do It Scared has come in is to help people identify where fear is holding you back so that you can actually go, Oh, you know what? I don't have to let this fear hold me back. I thought this was just the way I am, but actually I do have control over this. For me, the rejection thing has been, it's been really interesting because to your question, I thought that I had overcome so much fear, you know, that I'm kind of like, well, I'm I'm pretty much fearless at at this point in my life, but actually the fear of rejection is the one that one struggle that I really have to struggle with a lot. And I have some great friends. I have some great accountability partners who really call me out when they see that happening because I tend to be one of those people who as in true outcast form is, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and I don't need anybody and I'm going to do it on my own and I'm going to make, I'm going to build this successful business. And if you don't think I can do it, then watch me. I mean, that's pretty much my attitude and was my attitude (laughs) to my husband, (laughs) but where that has hurt me is I've been afraid to collaborate at times, or I've been afraid to reach out or to, you know, to reach out to media, to reach out and ask for help in different ways. And so as a business owner, that can definitely hold me back. I've had to consciously work on that, which is something it has been really interesting over the last year, but it's been great actually. And just continually reminding myself that it's, it's okay to ask for help.
1: (laughs) And mama's uh, Ruth has an assessment, a fear assessment to figure out what your person, what your fear archetype is. And preparing for this interview, my team and I all took the test which is fascinating because we all had different fear archetypes. <laughs> really? So I'm a people pleaser, which comes through very much on not wanting to let people down. So I am terrible at saying no. Just like I'm the worst. I overcommit all the time. I work crazy hours. Like it's just like it was way too true. I was <laughs> reading it to my husband. He was just laughing. He's like, yep, that's you. My integrator is a rule follower. That's a good trait for a rule follower or for an integrator. It is. It's a good fit, but I can definitely see where it comes through. And then my main VA is a procrastinator perfectionist, which also comes through for her of like, we talk sometimes of anytime we give her a new task, she's like, no, but I really like this thing that I was doing over here that I already know how to do. So it was really interesting to read through it and like identify where those things are coming from and know that there are ways to kind of combat it. But it's hard still to even just think about like, I can see it. I can read the people pleaser thing and be like, yeah, that's me. But still saying no gives me like major anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. What if they don't like me?
0: You have to start working on that. And that's like for me as an outcast. It's funny because my daughter, I have two daughters, and one is a perfectionist, procrastinator, total, like to the letter. And my (laughs) youngest daughter is total outcast to the letter. And so she, you know, she's 10. And she really mm-hmm. struggles with relationships. She struggles at school because she always thinks everyone is rejecting her. And she is very sensitive to that. And so I have to, as a mom who is also an outcast, I can relate to that. When, when I watch her, I see so much of myself and how my relationships have gone, even as an adult, because I perceive rejection when it's not actually there. And I can see that she's doing that, but she can't see it because it doesn't feel that way to her. And so thats it's been really interesting doing this work is realizing how much that shows up. And so sometimes just being aware of it is enough to help you start to shift the paradigm a little bit, realizing that you as a people pleaser are worried about how you're being perceived or that you're going to let people down or, or that they're going to be mad at you in some way. But when you can start to understand that they're not actually mad at you, they don't actually care that much and continually tell yourself that it starts to get, it starts to get a little easier. Even when it's painful, it starts to get a little easier.
1: And I love that identifying it in your kids, too. I think it's so nice when we can help guide them in a way that speaks to them, right? I mean, the earliest version of this that I read a long time ago was like the five love languages and starting to identify how your kids, like how your kids might not feel love the same way you do and making sure you're showing them in a way that speaks to them. I think that's great in fear as well as making sure you know, and trust me, fifth, sixth, seventh grade girls, (laughs) rejection is a scary thing. There's not always the best. That's not the best age for, I think, anybody.
0: No, and it's hard to watch. It was funny. I had her, Annie, my out, my little outcast, she came in from something. I don't even know. They hate me. And she was all upset. And I was like, honey, why don't you just sit down? I want you to read this chapter. And I had her read the outcast chapter in the book. And she's like, this is just like me. <laughs> It was so funny. I mean, right away she saw she saw it in herself too. I mean, and it's written for adults, but she was like, "Oh my gosh, this is me."
1: That's awesome. So, in your book, and you actually mentioned too your accountability partners, but you talk about the importance of accountability for all fear archetypes. So, can you just explain to us why accountability is so powerful?
0: Yes, because accountability is basically having someone who cares enough about you to shine a light, to hold up a mirror to your face and say, hey, look what you're doing. A true accountability like that is actually hard to find. Also, it takes a while. I get people asking me all the time. I have a a coaching program called Doing It Scared in that program I constantly have people say, Ruth, how do I find more? How do I find an accountability partner? And, And then asking in the Facebook group, does somebody want to be my accountability partner? And I constantly am trying to explain, like, it's great that you can start or be looking. I want you to find accountability, but you also need to work on building trust first because accountability without trust and without a foundation of trust is just kind of feels kind of sucky and feels kind of mean. then it's just somebody being a being a jerk or being not willing to actually say the things that need to be said. So it can be either of those things because when you don't have trust, you don't trust the other person enough to be honest. And so it starts, if you want that accountability in your life, if you truly want somebody who is going to make you better and push you, but do it with love and respect, um, work first on building a relationship with somebody who you think you might be able to have that with, and then kind of take it take it slowly and work up to that.
1: And we see it in mastermind groups too, right? And even in the Leap Blog Academy, people posting like, can we start a mastermind group? And I think like for us in my business, I rotate a mastermind group kind of on a regular basis, but I have one core one that I've been in for a couple of years. And we're very protective of who we add to that group because now we know each other so well and we're willing to be vulnerable and willing to say hard things, which I think that that developing that trust, we have to commit the time to it and be willing to open up for sure, which is, but I love Just investing the time in those relationships. I think that's a good for any part of our lives.
0: For sure. Yeah. And it does, it's made me realize. I mean, speaking of masterminds, it's made me realize how important it is to facilitate that as the leader of a group. And, you know, when when I first ran Masterminds, I didn't necessarily understand that as much as I do now. The more groups and the more classes and the more things I teach, the more cognizant I am of first saying, okay, what are we going to do in this group? to get to know each other, to build. And I, and I actually do the same thing with my team. We are constantly working on building trust because one of the things that we talk about on my team is a constructive conflict and being willing to hold each other and hold teammates accountable for things. And you cannot have accountability without trust and you can't have trust without being vulnerable with each other and so it all kind of it all kind of works together.
1: That's the first time I've ever heard that phrase constructive conflict. Can you break that down? I
0: love the sound of it. <laughs> you should read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Have you read that book by Patrick Lencioni? Oh I have not. It has been recommended to me many times. It's <laughs> and it's really just on like, good. Endless Yeah. endless. Yeah, it's really great. I think that comes from that from that okay. book. But we've done we've done the five dysfunctions actually we've read it as a team twice now because it was so helpful. And it's something that we have really had to work on because I actually have a team that has a lot of people pleasers on it. (laughs) So (laughs) people pleasers struggle with conflict. And so that was actually problematic on our team because people weren't saying things and mistakes were being made. Things were getting left undone. And now we, you know, there's definitely sparks sometimes that fly and yet it's, there's also so much love and trust within our team that it's, it has been really, really great. But the same thing that you were talking about for our mastermind, when we bring a new employee in, I mean, they go through, we've just hired somebody new and it was, it took us 70 applications Probably oh my gosh. 40 interviews of those 70 applications. We probably interviewed, started with 40 interviews, making it through the process until we finally found one. And I think that they were like, What the heck is wrong with what this? Did because, up for. Yeah, because it is, you become super protective of that core that you create. Because once you have trust, you don't want to lose it by having somebody in there that's going to upset the balance. Absolutely.
1: Now, Ruth, many moms have these ideas they've toyed with in the back of their minds, things they wish they could do, but felt truly impossible. So what advice do you have to give them about changing their mindset and chasing those dreams?
0: My best advice is that action is the antidote to fear. So if you want to do something, you have to take some sort of step. And it doesn't have to be, I think a lot of times... We don't act because all the steps seem so, so big. So you have to Mm -hmm. start with whatever this thing is that you want to do and break it down to something that you can do right now in this instant. If I was to do this thing in the next year, what would I need to do? You know, what would be the milestones that I would need to accomplish? First of all, what would be the five big milestones that I would have to accomplish in order to make this goal happen? And from those five milestones, what would be that first milestone? What are the five mini milestones that would need to happen in order to make that happen? So break it down even more. And from there, if it still feels too big, then you break it down even more. And you keep breaking it down to the most granular level to the point where you can do something that you can do right now that maybe takes you five minutes. That's the first step. Because every time you take action, it will give you enough courage to take the next step. But within that, the one other thing that you have to do is realize that big goals and big things never happen all at once. A lot of times we look at people who are successful and we look at people who are doing cool things and we think, Oh my gosh, I could never do that because we look at the end result. We see, we only see, we don't see all the struggle, all the, all the pain and tears—you don't see those three years that I worked, you know, for zero dollars because nobody was watching at that point. Nobody was paying any attention at that point. So all of a sudden, I come onto the scene, and my husband has quit his job, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, I could never do that." Well, yeah. yes, you could. Anybody could. I didn't do anything miraculous. There was no magic that was happening. I'm, I'm not more special. I'm not even good at saving money. And that's what I was (laughs) writing about. (laughs) Like I was not an expert, didn't have that thing. So every big thing that anybody accomplishes is always a series of a lot of little things. So many little things that feel so insignificant in that moment. And so for most people, it's not a matter of not being able to do something or not having the skills or not having the capability. It's that you don't make those little things a priority. Because they don't seem like the big thing. They don't seem like they're actually going to add up to that big thing. And then it also seems like there's so much other stuff that's more important. All the whirlwind of stuff that needs to do be done in the day-to-day stuff. So we always put off those those tasks that are related to the big thing because we're busy dealing with the day-to-day. So you have to make it a priority to do a little tiny bit every single day. And if you can do that, you'll get there.
1: I love it. That's great advice. All right, Ruth, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. So the sorting hat is, <laughs> our, is our version of the hot seat where the magical hat asks you a question to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I'm a little nervous, though. If you were a witch but could only do one spell, what would it be?
0: It would be apologies Potion polyjuice potion, who would you turn into? Everybody. Well once you have the potion, you can turn into anybody you want. (laughs) (laughs) See, I would apparate. For sure I would apparate. You would apparate? I could see that. That'd be pretty cool. But but being able to like sneak and be other people, I would totally, (laughs) I would totally want to do that. (laughs) That's so funny. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Careful guys.
1: People might actually be Ruth pretending to be people.
0: Yeah, that'd be amazing. Oh, <laughs> I think it'd be such a great way to see that, like you know, you always look at other people's lives and think, "Is their life more awesome than mine?" It'd be a great way to find out for sure.
1: I wonder if that's a little bit of an outcast thing. Of like, I want to know
0: <laughs> what other people are maybe it is. About me. Yes, <laughs>
1: that probably is. I can reject you. I don't need to reject you. I can be you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, listen, I can be all in all the places at once. <laughs> just move faster. That's true. That's true. So funny. All right, Ruth. Well, where can people follow up with you and follow Do It Scared and all the things you're doing?
0: Yeah. So um, the Do It Scared podcast you can find on iTunes and anywhere you could listen to podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this podcast. (laughs) Wherever you're listening to this one, just search for Do It Scared podcast. Or you can find me pretty much everywhere. RuthSookUp.com is probably the easiest. That'll link to everything else. Um, but if that's too hard to spell, then go to LivingWellsBunnyLess.com <laughs> or DoItScared.com. They all connect somehow. So, <laughs> here. Excellent. Well, Ruth, thank you
1: so much for joining us and telling us your story. This was excellent.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun.
1: Mamas, Ruth's fear archetypes really get you thinking, don't they? It was so insightful to take her quiz as a team and talk about our results. I highly recommend checking it out in the show notes and finding your own fear archetype. Truly, though, I absolutely love hearing stories like Ruth's. It's so easy to look at someone with a successful business like hers and think, well, of course she can do it. She's so smart. She's so lucky. Fill in the blank. We see overnight success even when that wasn't how it happened. Peeling back the layers of those stories, hearing about Ruth's depression, divorce, money fights with her husband, the over three years she spent blogging without being able to take an income from her business, we better understand the grit and work that goes into success. Is luck part of it? Being in the right place at the right time? Sure, not everyone who works their butts off gets the big payout. But as Sam Goldwyn once said, I notice the harder I work, luckier I get. We covered a lot on today's episode with Ruth, so as always, I've rounded up my top three favorite takeaways from all the stories and advice Ruth shared today. First, understanding the root of our fear can help us identify those moments when it's holding us back, even at times we wouldn't have been able to say, hey, I'm scared. Fear is important. It's what keeps us safe. It's what makes us stay away from the edges of cliffs and run from bears. Or stay very still when we see bears. I'm not an expert on bear safety, but you know what I'm talking about. But how our fear functions hasn't kept up with the changing world. Often, the things we fear aren't really dangerous. It's just that it's pushing us out of our comfort zone. Add to the fact that most of our fear is subconscious and that we've learned how to just avoid situations that scare us, and suddenly we're not even seeing the opportunities that could change our lives. As a people pleaser, I don't want people to be upset with me, so I default to yes, even when I'm overstretched, meaning I miss the opportunity to put more of my effort into the best projects for me in my future. For Ruth, who fears rejection, she rejects others before they can reject her, meaning she might miss an opportunity to build great partnerships or friendships. Understanding the root of your fear, your fear archetype, you can shine a light on the things that hold you back. You can give yourself back the chance to ask. Do I want to do this? Is the potential reward worth the risk? And that's a powerful thing. Second, even the right path isn't always easy. We talked about this a bit in episode 33 when we discussed how to know when it's time to pivot your goals. But even when you're doing the right thing, building the right business, making the right changes in your life, you're not going to get this constant conga line of yes, yes, this is it feedback. Sometimes it's going to feel like you're doing the exact wrong thing. You're going to be scared right out of your pants, as George is really loving to say right now. Ruth's husband didn't initially support her venture. He resented the time it took and the limited financial reward. She had to believe her own internal voice and keep going. Her laptop that she had worked and saved for was ruined when it fell off the roof of the family car. Ruth had to commit to still working on her business, broken screen and all, for an entire year. And then, just days after her husband quit his job, making Ruth a full-time breadwinner for the first time, their car was totaled. Anyone would have asked, are we doing the right thing? Building a successful business means facing down tough problems, working through the times when you're feeling doubtful and scared, and believing in your own power and goals. Just because something goes wrong doesn't mean you're a bad business owner or that you're on the wrong path. Setbacks are just part of the journey. Those who are successful are those who are best at dusting themselves off, learning from the experience, and moving forward. And finally, third, you don't have to be an expert to get started. I loved, loved, loved that Ruth said this. It's a sentiment we hear from mamas all the time. I want to be a virtual assistant, but I don't know if I have enough skills. Or, I'd love to get a stand at our local's farmer's market to sell baked goods and jams, but I'm not a professional baker. Or, I have this idea for a blog, but I'm not an expert. Who would listen to me? Ruth started living well, spending less, not because she was living the perfect life and had immense money knowledge. She started because she needed that resource in her own life. She walked the journey with her readers, and people saw their own story in hers. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to have all the answers or the perfect training. You just need to have a goal you're passionate about, get started, and commit to learning every step of the way. You've got this. I want to thank Ruth again for joining me on the show and sharing so much of her personal story. Be sure to check out her book, Do It Scared, which is linked in the show notes for today's episode, along with a summary of our key takeaways at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Ruth. Keep talking money mamas. I'll see you next time.